Hey, my friends, uh, welcome to this episode of Real Live Talk. It's so, so good to be back with you. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode, for this conversation. And I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm pumped to be here and to kind of share. This is going to be another solo episode, and I just want to share from my heart something that I've been uh, just in, encountering a lot with God lately and something that I, I feel like uh, I'm in the process of, of learning, I think is just so important and so key in our lives. And um, we'll get to that in just a minute. I, I do hope that, uh, so this is originally airing on November 28th. So I hope that everybody had an awesome Thanksgiving and everything. I don't know about you, but I, I was just telling a friend yesterday that Thanksgiving is actually uh, probably my favorite holiday. And I was kind of thinking about that, and and I think the reason why I like it so much is because it, I like the simplicity of it. I, I love the fact that it's really just kind of it's an emphasis on family. It's an emphasis on on thankfulness, an emphasis on on just yeah on Thanksgiving. So it's a really cool opportunity, I think. Uh, for you know Christians to be able to uh, just reflect on what God has done, what God has said, and to kind of pull our families into that and kind of have that moment of just thanksgiving together and without all the added stuff. So I love Christmas. Christmas is a great time. I love giving and receiving gifts. But you know, I just love the simplicity of Thanksgiving where it's really it's a day. It's about family. You eat good food, you do all that kind of stuff and it's fun. But you don't have all of the other stuff of Christmas, you know, all the different pressures that come with Christmas time and buying gifts and all that kind of stuff. And so I, I really love Thanksgiving for those reasons. I know a lot of uh, a lot of people get bummed out by the commercialization of uh, these holidays and, and stuff like that, in particular Christmas. Because, you know, as as Christians, we know that at Christmas time, we celebrate Jesus, we celebrate his birth, we celebrate the fact that he came down from heaven and came into the world to save us and rescue us. And we've always, you know, we always say that Christmas is Jesus's birthday and all that. Of course, we know that Christmas, uh, December 25th is not the actual day that Jesus was born. But I, I, I know that a lot of times we can get kind of bent out of shape over the way that the holiday season is commercialized. And stuff like that. And, um, you know, I was just thinking about that. I was just thinking about all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, I feel like, I don't know if I, let me see if I can figure out how to articulate this because I've never, never really um, thought about this until just a few minutes ago. So bear with me. I feel like with, you know, when we get frustrated by the commercialization of Christmas in particular, I mean, look, the Bible never, says, at least I'm not aware of any verse in the Bible that commands us, like there's a, you know, thou shalt henceforth ye hither whatever celebrate this day, commemorate this day to remember the day that Jesus came into the world. Like I, I we we don't we don't have that. And so the fact that we take a day, which has become December 25th, which I know there's roots you go back there's roots and there's ties to pagan holidays and there's stuff people don't like the christmas trees because there's some stuff about i don't even remember what it is but there's connections to all these old kind of pagan holidays and festivals and things like that and so look i get it you you cele celebrate how you want to celebrate or don't celebrate how you don't want to celebrate or, or whatever and i don't have any problem with that um i just think that sometimes we get out of we get bent out of shape about things that we really don't need to, because here's the deal. Um, the world as Christians, the world doesn't owe us anything. And I know that we in, in America, for those of my um, United States listeners, I, I, you know, we've, we've grown, I, I grew up in this, in this nation, always being told, you know, this is a, we're, we're a Christian nation. We're one nation under God and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and I get, you know, growing up in a Christian nation, we, we feel like, I think sometimes that we're owed a certain thing that the body of Christ, that, that Christianity, that we're somehow owed a certain thing. I think we forget about the fact that we're actually exiles in the earth. <laughs> like we're, we're, we're exiles in the earth and we're not, I just don't think that we, sh I don't know. I, I don't think we should expect the world to do us any favors. I believe that as Christians, as followers of Christ, we can take us a, a, a holiday like Christmas 
and celebrate it for what it means to us. And if the world wants to do something different with it, then fine. Because at the end of the day, like if we're expecting the world to do favors for Christianity, I think we're kind of missing the point. The point is, I think we're actually as God's people here in the earth, we're supposed to engage with people, engage with culture, not assimilate to the culture, but engage with culture so that people can see the goodness of God revealed and demonstrated in our lives. And I don't think that we do that by having this standoffish attitude of, oh, just look at all the people in the world, the way that they're doing this, what it's really supposed to be about Jesus. It's really supposed to be about this. Look, I actually, I, I, I celebrate the fact that, you know, when I walk into a store around Christmas time, like we're a couple days away from December, you know, all, pretty much throughout the entire month of December, you're going to walk in department stores and you're going to walk through malls and you're going to go in places, supermarkets, grocery stores, everywhere. You're going to hear the name of Jesus being broadcast in songs, in Christmas songs. And I get it. The world doesn't really uh, probably even pay attention to a lot of the people putting those songs on. It's just like, oh, these are Christmas songs. They're not necessarily thinking this is a song about Jesus. Let's play it. They're just thinking these are Christmas songs. They're kind of the classic Christmas songs that talk about Jesus, the, the advent, his birth, all of this. And there's some of these songs have really, really powerful words. And I love the fact that I can walk into a store that doesn't even know that they're doing it, but they they're playing a song that is proclaiming the name of Jesus. And I don't know what kind of effect that has or, or, or doesn't have or whatever, but I celebrate that fact. I love the fact that throughout this month, I mean, we have an opportunity. It's because it's really not even just Christmas day or, you know, the, the 24th and the 25th of December. It's really all throughout the, the month of December, we we're kind of feeling the Christmas vibe or the Christmas spirit or, or whatever, whatever you want it to be. And as Christians, I feel like we have such an opportunity to just take this moment, to take this time and to reflect on who God is and what God has done on the fact that he did send his son Jesus into this world to save us from our sins, to give his life as a ransom for many. And I think we should be looking for opportunities to engage with people, to engage with culture in whatever ways that we can, whatever ways the Holy Spirit would lead us to do that, where we can put his goodness and his glory on display, where we can proclaim and exalt the name of Jesus. And so I don't even know if this makes sense what I'm saying or not. I'm just saying, I think we, you know, I know a lot of people get really frustrated by the commercialization of the holiday. And my, you know, my question is like, well, what do you expect? Now, we get we get frustrated by by things. We get bent out of shape over uh, again different decora decorations that may have different meanings. We get f upset because Santa Claus and oh, if you rearrange the letters of Santa, you get Satan. And and I get all that, but like, so what? And if you disagree with me, I, I'm totally cool with that. I'd love to hear from you. But like, so what? Like at the end of the day, again, what what does the world owe us? We're we're the people of God, we're exiles in, in the earth. We're on assignment from here, but this is not our home. The United States of America is not our home. This is where we live. This is where I live. And I love my, I love my country, but my citizenship is in heaven. As the people of God, our citizenship is in heaven and that's where our allegiance is. And so when we're here on the earth, we're sent here on assignment from God, whether you are uh, in ministry or in business or whatever you do as the vocation for your life, that doesn't matter. If you are a follower of Christ, you're here on assignment to put his goodness and his glory on display by living out life, by being compassionate with people, by sharing the love of Christ with others, by just being a good person. By just being you, by just coming into the the more and more into the fullness of who God created you to be, walking out your assignment. And again, it doesn't matter if it's ministry or business or working a job or whatever it is. That that doesn't matter. It's not more spiritual to be in ministry than it is to uh, you know own a business, to run a factory, to work on an assembly line. It's not it's not more spiritual to you know, be a missionary than it is to be a lawyer or a doctor or a teacher or a stay-at-home mom or dad. It's, it's, not, it's not more spiritual to do those things. It's wherever you are, wherever God has placed you, you have an assignment on your life that really, really matters. 
and it, it and it's it's to bring this world more and more into the understanding of the knowledge of the goodness of God, the knowledge. We're, we're here to fill the earth with the knowledge of the goodness and the glory of God. That as we demonstrate who God is, his love, his mercy, his kindness, his compassion, who God is, the way that Jesus came to show love, to set people free, to turn the hearts of the people to the Father. And I don't know, I, I just think that, you know, we have we have such a cool opportunity in this holiday season to not get, you know, we could take the moment to get bent out of shape over things, but I feel like we could also take this opportunity to uh, really just be a light, to, to be that city set on a hill where we're not trying to get into a, a system that recognizes everything. Like we're not trying to get the system to recognize everything the, the way that we think it should be or the way that the Bible says it should be. It's like, no, we're actually kind of, we're going against the grain. And so, I don't know. I just don't think that we should necessarily be expecting the world to do us any favors. I think that as the people of God, we need to take on that yoke. We need to take on that burden. We need to take on that responsibility to put the glory and the goodness of God on display. So when the world makes it about Santa Claus and the world makes it about buying gifts and the world makes it about the commercialization and all that kind of stuff, I don't think that should surprise us. And I don't think it means that we should run away and we shouldn't put up a Christmas tree or 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 put up a wreath or you know buy gifts or give gifts to people to receive gifts. I think that we are called to redeem like, like we get, as the people of God, we're, we're supposed to be redemptive in nature because God is redemptive in nature. And so we have this holiday, right? We have Christmas, which we know as the people of God, it's the holiday that we have assigned to, I'm not saying we, I don't even know. I, I should have looked at the etymology of it. I didn't really plan on talking this long about all this, but you know, the etymology of, of how Christmas really became what it is today and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't remember because it's been a long time since I've I've paid attention to it but <laughs> just being honest but we have this holiday called Christmas which it's we know we know what it means right as the people of God we know what it means we know what it's all about we know why we celebrate it but then there's this whole other side of it where it's kind of been turned into something else it's been turned into more about the gifts it's been turned more into just different things. And, and for a lot of people, it has nothing to do with Jesus. And I feel like we have a, we have a decision to make there. We can either get mad and frustrated about that and get salty and get grumpy and, you know, talk about how Christmas isn't, isn't what it's supposed to be anymore. But, or we, as the people of God, we can recognize it for what it is. We can celebrate it the way that we choose to celebrate it, make it all about Jesus, give him the glory. And then even, you know, don't get a tree if you don't want a tree. Don't put up lights if you don't want to put up lights. That Because, again, that's not the point of it. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. But I do think that taking the opportunity as the people of God, let me see if I can make sense out of this, as the people of God to celebrate Jesus while building traditions with our family, you know, while demonstrating a generous and a thankful heart, whether that in the way that we give gifts or receive gifts or not. If you don't do the gift thing, that's cool too. But I'm just saying we have such a beautiful opportunity in the, in the Christmas season. I know it's, we're not even close to Christmas yet. I don't even know why I'm talking about this guys, but I don't know. I hope it's making sense. <laughs> but anyway, it's just, God is so good. God is so generous. And I think that sometimes we just get bent out of shape about things because we fail to recognize how generous the heart of God really is. And I think that if we could take a moment and to just like ask God or to just think about how we could more properly put on display the nature of God, his love, his generosity, his kindness, his compassion. I mean, if we're celebrating what Jesus came to do this entire Christmas season, it's all about, it's all, it's all about how generous God was with us for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. 
And so, you know, maybe we take that concept and when I'm giving a gift, I'm giving a gift, not because I feel like I have to, because Christmas has been commercialized into something, but maybe I'm for me, and maybe that's what it is for, for the world. And that, that's fine. But maybe for me, what I do is I take on the mindset that says I'm giving this gift because God's been so generous with me and I want to demonstrate my love for this person by being generous. And when I receive a gift, I'm receiving this gift with thankfulness in my heart because I'm able to, in that moment, reflect on how good God is. And maybe in some very, very tiny, maybe almost insignificant way, these gifts that we're giving and receiving, they somehow, for us, again, not for the world, but for us, they they, they cause us to remember what God has done for us and how good and generous and faithful he's been. And um, let me, let me just read a verse. Cause as I was uh, sitting here thinking about, you know, how you walk into stores and stuff like that, this holiday season and, and Christmas is being commercialized by, by everybody else. But you, you hear the, the songs that talk about Jesus, talk about his birth, talk about how he came to save us. I mean, again, some of these Christmas songs that get, played in shopping malls are so profound and they're so theologically profound that it's just beautiful. And again, they don't have to know what they're doing or what they're listening to or whatever. But um, let me find this verse. I know it's in Philippians chapter one and most, let's see, verse 15, maybe. Yeah. Verse, verse 15. Well, let me start in verse 14. This is Paul, and he's writing from prison. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. (laughs) Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerity, supposing to add affliction to my chains but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. So Paul here is talking about people who are preaching the gospel. And there's two sides of this. So Paul's in prison and he's saying him being in prison is causing these different things to happen. And so Paul's saying there's people out there that are actually now preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're doing it from a place of envy, from strife. They're doing it from a place of bitterness. They're, they're, they're doing it. And and maybe it was the kind of thing where they're like, oh, Paul's in prison. So we're going to take over and we're going to do the thing that he can't do now. We're going to do it better than him. Maybe it was that kind of attitude. I don't for sure know. But he says, there's some that are preaching the gospel of Christ. They're doing it out of love. They're doing it out of compassion. They're doing it out of goodwill and kindness. And there's others that are doing it from a place of selfish ambition. And obviously we don't want to preach Jesus from a place of selfish ambition or from envy or strife. We don't, we don't, we don't want to do that. We want our motivations to be right and good and pure. We want that, of course, in our pastors and leaders and those that are preaching the word of God in public ways and stuff like that. And then in our own lives as well, of course, we want our motivations to be good and to be pure. But look at verse 18, Paul's conclusion. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. Excuse me, Christ is preached. And in this, I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. So Paul's like, like, look, these people think they're maybe even doing it. Their their motivation is to do a disservice to me. And so they're preaching the gospel out of these pretenses. They're preaching the gospel out of this kind of irreverence and and envy and strife and kind of like bitterness. And there's stuff that's going on and they're preaching the gospel out of that. And obviously that's not good, especially for them. But Paul's like, I rejoice in the fact that the gospel is being preached. Even if it's being preached from the wrong motivation, I rejoice in the fact that the gospel is being preached. And that verse just came into my mind as I was kind of thinking about that. There's a lot of incognito stuff that go, that goes on during the Christmas season. Like you walk into a store today and you're going to see the Santa Clauses and the you know snowflakes and all that kind of stuff. But there's also going to be some things that you're going to see that are, that, that are there that do reflect back to Jesus. And maybe it's becoming less and less. I feel like over the years, it's probably gotten to be less and less. And, you know, we're going in the Christmas stores and we're hearing Mariah Carey and we're hearing like the newer Christmas songs and stuff like that. And maybe not as much as we used to, 
but you still have those glimpses where the name of Jesus is being pre not preached necessarily, but the name of Jesus is being proclaimed and exalted. And it might go under the radar. It might be ignored by 99% of the people and they don't even realize what's happening. But I rejoice in the fact that whether it's from pretense, that whether it's from commercialization, that whether it's from tradition, whether it's from religiosity, whether it's from whatever it is, I rejoice in the fact that the gospel is being declared. The gospel is being, being preached. So I don't know if any of that made sense. I never uh, had really thought about that before. Uh, just uh, a few minutes ago. So I hope it made sense the way it came out. But I uh, appreciate you guys. Again, I hope that you and your families had an awesome uh, Thanksgiving and everything. And uh, I'm just excited for the end of this year and for getting ready to move into a new year. I feel like it's an exciting time. And I'm sure there's it's also a hectic time for so many people. But with everything, there's just an early reminder to uh, remember to keep Jesus at the center of all of it because he's so good and he's so faithful and at the end of the day all of this is really really all about him and whatever way that you find to celebrate or if you don't celebrate christmas or whatever but find those times for you uh, however it works for you for your family to I, I think it's good to build traditions and i think it's good to celebrate together to celebrate the goodness of god to celebrate the blessing of god and to celebrate what he's done for us, to celebrate his birth, to celebrate his death, his resurrection, to find these times. We can do this anytime. We can do this every day of the year, of course, and and uh, and we, we should to an extent. But uh, I just love the fact that we have an extended season of time where it's not just a day or two, but it's really just about an entire month where maybe our minds are more just are, are more on that reality of remembering what Jesus came to do for us. So hope you guys uh, had an awesome holiday, uh, Thanksgiving and and uh, everything as well. I don't know if you guys are into the World Cup or not. In my house, we're super into it. My wife is um, out there right now watching Portugal and who are they playing? Uruguay, I think it is. And I'm missing it. I'm missing it, guys. But uh, I, as much as I love football soccer whatever you want to call it see that doesn't even bother me doesn't even bother me anymore that used to bother me it doesn't bother me anymore <laughs> i used to i lived in mexico for a few years and so i kind of got used to calling soccer uh football football and uh i've i feel like i love american football i love american football and i call it football i don't call it something else because i think that'd be kind of ridiculous for me to do that because i've watched it my whole life and played it my whole life and everything but uh, I do kind of consider the the round, you know, white and black checkered ball to uh, that sport to be the real football. But I'm not offended by soccer. I got free from that because I found out that uh, <laughs> that soccer, that the word soccer was actually first used in England to dis to define football, soccer. Um, and, uh, we could, uh, maybe I'm actually going to have my wife on, a, on a podcast episode later this week, I think. So maybe we'll talk a little bit more about the world cup and stuff like that, but, uh, it's a good time. It's a good time to, to get into something that you might not be into all year around, but, uh, it's, it's fun. It's, it's just, it's just a fun time. So anyway, I love you guys. Um, I wanted to share something and I feel like what I was talking about a second ago, just kind of about that generosity of heart really kind of ties into what was on my heart. So if you saw the the title for this episode, it's something like that there's no lack in God, something along those lines. And so I, I just, this has been something that's just been really just at the forefront of my mind. It's really just been on my heart a lot lately. It's been coming up in church. We've been doing multiple, we've had like back-to-back -back series where we've been teaching on different things in church. I, I taught on faith for a couple Sundays and then we moved on to some other stuff and my brain's not working fully right now. So I don't even remember what followed exactly, but there's been, I feel like this reoccurring connecting theme with all of it that with God, there is no lack that in Christ, there is no lack. And the fact that we have no lack in God should really more and more and more begin to govern the way that we think, the way that we take action, the way that we respond in faith, the way that we obey, the way that we love on other people, all of it. Because if I'm approaching life and if I'm approaching people and ministry and my job and my family and relationships and all the things in life that I approach in different ways, if I'm doing that, from a lack of generosity of heart, because I feel like I've only got a certain amount of resources that I'm able to give because that's all that I can get. 
then I'm going to end up underserving the people or the places or the things that I'm being called to serve. And uh, a, a phrase kind of, and I've, I've used an iteration of this in the past, but a, but a phrase kind of came into my, my heart on Sunday and I wrote it down. <laughs> I'm so bad at remembering things right now. I don't know why, but um, I think it was something like, you know, if I, if I undervalue what God has given me, and, and here's the thing, <clears throat> I'll come back to it in a second. Anything that, that I have, anything that you have, we only have it because God gave it to us. And he only gave it to us, well, he gave it to us because he loves us, but he only gave it to us to steward and to administrate, but it really belongs to him. So if we could, I feel like that's kind of on the foundational level of learning to live from this place of, of no limitations, of living from this place where we're not confined or restricted by the things that we feel like are lacking in our lives, but we're able to approach life and again, people and ministry and all the things that we do from a place of abundance, from a place of generosity, from a place of goodwill. I feel like that gets fueled at least in part. And I think in large part by recognizing that at the end of the day, we don't actually own anything. And so if I'm putting my confidence and I'll be honest with you and I'll tell you that I do this, I, I'm, I've, you know, I, I still do it. I still do it in my life. And I want to completely break out of, of this mindset. But if I put my confidence in my bank account, I'm putting my confidence in something that I have, I've falsely understood I've, I've, I've been deceived <laughs> or I've deceived myself. It's probably a better way to say it. I've deceived myself into thinking that the money in that bank account is mine and that that's all that I have. When in reality, that money's in my bank account because God has allowed me to be a steward over that. Steward over the home that I live in. Steward over my car. I'm not saying we should get religious and start saying, oh, that's not my car. It's God's car. Like, I'm not saying we should get religious about it. There's nothing wrong with you saying my car, my house. But I, <laughs> but I just think that on a foundational level, when we begin to understand, and I don't just mean like, I know this in my head. I mean, we really begin to operate from this place of I'm just a steward. I'm just an administrator of the things that God has been so generous to put into my hands. And if he's been so generous to put these things into my hands and he knows no lack and he's infinite and he's abundant and he's generous and he's full of compassion and mercy and grace. Then what, what would lead me to believe that these resources that are in my hands are it. What would lead me to believe that this is all I can get, that this is all I can have? I love how David in Psalm 23, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. So in other words, he's reflecting on the nature of God as the one who leads and guides and protects and provides for. He's my shepherd. That's what he does. That's who he is. He's also the one who corrects me when I'm doing stupid things. He adjusts my walk. He does all that. You know, before you accuse me of being like touchy feely and saying that, you know, th this is a, a an easy gospel or whatever. It, it's, it's just that the nature of God is so he's so much better than we think he is. He's so good and he's so faithful to us. Even when we're faithless, Second Timothy 2 says he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. <laughs> He'll never deny himself. We're under this impression. I feel like so many in the church are under the impression that God is only as good to them as they are to him. And it's just simply not true. God is always good to you, even when you're a doofus. When I'm a doofus, God is still as good as he's ever been. When I blow it, God is still as good as he's ever been. He's not as good to me as I am to him. He's as good to me as he's he has always been. 
and that rhymed and it was completely unintentional, but it, I think it was pretty cool. Anyway, he's so good. So the Lord is my shepherd, David says, I shall not want. Or another way to translate that word want is to use the word lack. And I, I like that word because I think it gives us a better, a better understanding of what's really being said. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me. He guides me. He instructs me. He's my perfect leader. And he does all of it out of love. So I shall not lack. David is recognizing. And traditionally, just to give the context, traditionally, this you, you won't find this in the Bible. This is kind of a, uh, a, a, a Jewish historical thing, um, tradition, that David wrote Psalm 23 during the events of what were happening in 1 Samuel chapter 30, which is when David and the men uh, had gone out to, to fight a battle and they came back to their refuge, their stronghold at Ziklag. And when they got there, they found out that all of their wives and their children and their livestock and, and everything had been ransacked by an enemy nation and taken away. And so they come back and, of course, they're just wailing. They're in deep, deep sorrow and agony. They're confused. They're not sure where they are, if they're alive, dead. Like, they don't know what's going on. And David, as the leader of the nation, they're putting the blame on him. This happened on your watch, David. They're talking about stoning him. The Bible says in that passage, the first uh, eight verses of First uh, Samuel chapter 30 is where you'll find that story. It's really profound. How in that moment, it says that David strengthened himself in the Lord. So he was deeply distressed, the Bible says, and he strengthened himself in the Lord. And it gives a description. He asked the, the, he asked, uh, the ephod to be brought to him, which was a priestly garment. Um, and, and so he puts on this priestly garment. It's a garment to help him remember what God has done, what God has promised the faithfulness of God. He begins to reflect on God's faithfulness. He begins to praise the Lord. In this moment of intense distress and maybe facing his own death and dealing, of course, with the loss of his family um, and, and, and all this is going on. And it's said uh, by tradition, it's said that that was the moment that when David strengthened himself in the Lord and sat down with this ephod and began to praise God that Th that the words of Psalm 23 are what came out. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. In a moment of intense lack, in a moment where everything valuable to him had been stolen, everything had been taken away, in a moment where in the natural, you know, another way to say this is, uh, I think it might be the NIV that says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. And in this moment, I mean, he had some wants. He wanted his wife back. He wanted his kids back. He wanted he he wanted not to be murdered by the men who were mad at him because this happened and he wasn't even there when it happened. He he wanted a lot of things. He was in need of a lot of things. There were a lot of things lacking in this moment. But what David recognizes is that if God is my shepherd, it doesn't matter what I'm going through, what my circumstances tell me. It doesn't matter how bad it looks. It doesn't matter how distressing the situation is. It doesn't matter if I'm facing death. It doesn't matter. None of that matters because when I recognize that the Lord is my shepherd, that I have no lack because in him there is no lack. And so he keeps going and he says, I, I just think it's so beautiful. And I've never really thought about it from this perspective before until, until really now, this morning. He's like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. All this stuff that David is saying, again, in this moment where there's, that's not what he's feeling. That's not what he's experiencing. But it's what he's recognizing about the nature and the character of God. And I feel like, and, and I, I do this sometimes, man. I get offended when things in my life don't go right. And I, and, and, you know, I feel like what we can do sometimes is we can become offended to the point that we get offended at God to the point that we start blaming him for the things that we don't have, for the things that are lacking in our life, for the things that are not going well. And we fail to recognize that the nature and the character of God is that there is no lack in him. So what do I do with that? What do I do with the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. And then recognizing that I'm lacking 
whether it's lacking in health or lacking in finances or lacking in some kind of resource, there's things lacking. So what do I do with that? What I have to begin to do is recognize that I'm not defining God based on my circumstances. I'm I'm coming into agreement and partnership and relationship and intimacy with my heavenly father so that my relationship with him begins to define my circumstances. So that when I recognize that there is lack in this area of my life, I'm not allowing that to become the thing that defines me and that allows me to define God, but I'm allowing my relationship of trust of walking with my good and perfect shepherd who leads me perfectly, that I'm allowing that to dictate what these circumstances are actually allowed to tell me. I'm not denying that the circumstances exist. That's a that's a, a an extreme that I don't think is helpful. I'm not denying that they exist, but I am limiting their the, the capacity of my circumstances to affect my identity. I'm limiting the capacity of my circumstances to influence the way that I think, talk, feel, relate, all of these things. That That's what, what happens when our minds are renewed, when we begin to think more and more like God thinks. We begin to see our problems more and more the way that he sees them. And when we see our problems the way that God sees them, they don't look as big as they do when we see them the way that a human mind sees them. And so David is is writing from this place where his perception, his, his heart is anchored in a different realm. His heart is anchored in a different hope. His hope is not tied to not dying right now. His hope is tied to God, who is his perfect shepherd who's not going to leave him and not going to forsake him. And even when it looks like when the circumstances would tell you that God has left or forsaken or abandoned you, he hasn't because it's not in his nature to do that. And so we've got to stop defining God by our circumstances and by the lack that we're seeing. And we've got to begin defining our lives, everything about our lives. We've got to begin to define We've we've got to define our lives by the nature and the character of God. At the end of the day, he gave everything for us. He did everything for us. He loves us perfectly. He walks with us. He leads us and guides us perfectly. We've got, we've got to remember that. And it's not this like, what have you done for me lately kind of thing. It's, it's not this, well, I'm not seeing it right now. It's okay. You might not be seeing it because you might be too focused on the stuff that's going on. But let's use David as an example. He could have very easily focused on all of the stuff that was a, that was going wrong and maybe losing his life five minutes from now, (laughs) five minutes from that moment. He could have been focused on all that stuff. And he could have said, where are you, God? God, why, why have you left me? Why have you allowed this to happen? Why did you allow this to, to, to happen to me? Why did you allow this to happen to the men, to our nation? Why, why is this going on? But David didn't do that. And look, when when we keep reading the story, we're not going to, I'm not even reading the story. I'm just talking about it. But if you keep reading, you'll find out that David and his men, they, David in that moment, he heard from God. God told him what to do. He said, go after the people that took your wives and children and stuff. Go after them, overtake them. You will recover all. And that's what they did. And they got everything back. And it's a beautiful story. But here's the thing. David didn't know what God was going to say until he got into God's face in the midst of the turmoil of the moment he was in. And here's the thing. David was willing to put aside the pain and not even put it aside. He was willing to take the pain and the frustration of the moment that he was in and to carry it into the secret place, to carry it into the presence of God, to get into God's faith, face, to remember his faithfulness and to give God praise. Because 
David recognized, even though all this is going on, you're still worthy. And you're the only one that can lead me and guide me as my perfect shepherd. You're the only one that can lead me and guide me through the turmoil of this moment. So David didn't know what God was going to, David didn't know that they were going to get everybody back. But David didn't have the attitude of, well, I'm not going to give God praise unless he gives this back to me. And I feel like that's where we stand sometimes. God, I'm only going to give you praise. And we would never say this out loud. It's not in any worship songs that we sing, but I feel like this is what the way that we operate a lot is, God, I'm only going to give you praise when I feel it. I'm only going to give you praise when it makes sense. I'm only going to give you praise when I see you come through for me. And we hold back. <laughs> I talked a few a few weeks ago about how God's not holding blessing back from you. Read a verse in uh, Psalm 84. I think it was verse 11. I'm not totally sure on that, but how it says, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God's not holding back from you. God's not holding blessing back from you. But sometimes we're holding blessing back from God. And, and we, we hold blessing back. You know, when we, to, the Bible tells us to bless the name of the Lord. It means to declare his name. We bless the Lord. For whatever reason, God has so positioned us in his heart that he's actually blessed by the declarations out of our mouths. And we get the privilege of blessing God. We get the privilege of declaring who God is, of worshiping him. He invites us freely into his presence. But so often, I feel like because of our circumstances and because of the negative attitude that we take toward God in our circumstances, which we might even not even realize it, that it's happening. But we, I feel like often we can allow those things or we can allow other things, other circumstances of life. We can allow all kinds of things to cause us to be standoffish and to withhold the blessing of our lips from God until he comes through until he shows us something as if he owes us anything he's already given us everything this is his nature in him there is no lack the lord is my shepherd i shall not lack when he when david gets down to verse 4 and he starts talking about walking through the valley of the shadow of death how he will fear no evil because god is with him it's so it's just so interesting when you contrast these two things the lord is my shepherd i shall not lack and yet i'm in this valley of the shadow of death. That doesn't sound like a place of no lack. It sounds like a place where all kinds of stuff is lacking. But I'm not focused on what I tangibly have in my hands or in my possession at the moment. What I'm focusing on is the fact that in you, there is no lack. And so that is going to be the basis for my confession. That's going to be the basis for my attitude. That's going to be the basis for how I proceed in this moment. In you, God. There is no lack. I just hope you can get that into your spirit today, that in God, there is no lack. He's been so good. He's been so faithful. He's been so generous. And it's just who he is. And he does not change. And so what I um, what I really wanted to look at real quick here. So in, um, in Matthew chapter 14, I'm not going to be able to read all this stuff, but in Matthew chapter 14, Starting at verse 13, there's this account of the feeding of the 5,000. I know I've talked about that recently as well, um, but in relation to something different. The feeding of the 5,000, and it's this, you know, there Jesus is actually trying to get away <laughs> from the multitudes, and they follow him, and he has compassion on them, and so... Um, he, uh, the disciples are kind of like, all right, we've been, well, anyway, he has compassion on them and they start ministering and healing people and setting people free and teaching and just doing Jesus stuff, you know? And the disciples finally, they come to Jesus. They're worn out. They're, they're hungry and people are hungry. And it's like, all right, we got to send these people away. We're in a deserted place. There's no food here. So when Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And it's just a beautiful story they, all they have is this, this, uh, boys, five loaves of bread and and two fish. And it's like, obviously that's not enough to feed all these thousands of people, 5,000 men plus women and children. But Jesus it says, looks up to heaven and, and blesses the, the bread. They begin to pass it out, distribute it. The disciples begin passing it out. They're just doing this complete, just walk of obedience with Jesus with something that makes no sense. And this incredible miracle happens. And at the end, they take up 12 baskets full of leftover fragments. When we get to the next chapter, chapter 15, 
Uh, get toward the end, ver starting in verse 32, there's the feeding of the 4,000. So they fed 5,000 and now they're feeding. They, they have a similar situation and they're feeding 4,000. And it's just funny because let, let me read it. It says, now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Then his disciples said to him, where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? What a beautiful question. What a really just great Christian question. <laughs> where are we going to get enough food? We, we've already forgotten about what just happened in the previous chapter. I don't know how much time passed between the feeding of the five and the feeding of the four. I don't know. It's only one chapter in the book of Matthew. So, you know. I feel maybe it was, I don't know, but either way, they had this experience where they had 5,000 men plus women and children, and they feed them with five loaves of bread and two fish. And now we're in a situation where this, it's like the same exact thing is going on. And Jesus is like, let's give the people something to eat. And the disciples immediate response is where could we, could, where could we possibly get enough food to feed all these people? Isn't it interesting how God shows up. God does something in our lives and we forget. We forget so quickly. We can be so quick to forget how good he is and we can forget something that he did for us yesterday. And so now we're in the midst of a new trial of a new difficulty and we've already forgotten what he did for us. What Jesus shows us throughout the, the gospels, one of the things that, that, sh that, sh that he shows us throughout the gospels is that we're supposed to learn from the miracles. We're supposed to learn from the breakthroughs. They're supposed to edify us. They're supposed to build us up. We're supposed to go to a new depth of understanding of faith and walking with Jesus. That when he shows up and does something, it's not just something that he did. It's something that he did because it's what he does, because it's who he is. Does that make sense? It's like God does what he does. God, God came through for you the way that he came through for you yesterday or last year or a decade ago. He came through for you because he's the kind of God who comes through for you because that's who he is, because he's generous, because he's full of love and compassion and mercy, even when we don't deserve it. I mean, even when we don't deserve it. He's faithful. So like, where could we possibly, <laughs> where are we going to get the food to feed all these people? Sometimes I just feel like Jesus is like, all right, all right, I'm, all right. We're, we're, we're going to try this again. Didn't stick in, in chapter 14. Obviously the chapters were added way later. So I'm being facetious, but didn't stick last chapter. Um, we don't even have as many people. We've got less people now than we had before. And here's and here's what's here's what's funny. How many loaves do you have? He says. Jesus asks in verse thirty four. And they said seven and a few little fish. So they've actually got fewer people than they had in the first experience, and they've got more food. It's still not a lot, but they had five loaves of bread and two fish in the first account. And in this one, they've got seven loaves, and it says a few fish. I think it was four. Um. And it's funny, they said seven and a few little fish. So they're little fish now. Because again, like the mindset is just, well, God did it then, but it doesn't mean he's going to do it now. And it doesn't mean he's going to do it the exact same way. You know, it doesn't mean it's going to look as pretty or tidy or whatever on the outside as it maybe did the last time. But it does mean that you can depend on God's faithfulness. You can depend on how good he is. And so... um, I just think that's interesting. And then uh, the next chapter, so chapter 16. So we went from 14 with the feeding of the 5,000 to chapter 15, feeding of the 4,000. Same kind of thing happens. They're all filled. They take up seven baskets full of leftover fragments. And I love something that Bill Johnson pointed out in a message years ago where he said, you know, when you compare the numbers from Matthew chapter 14 and 15, you have the feeding of the 5,000. Um, and of course, that's just men. And then there's women and children. And and uh, so but anyway, let's just just for the sake of uh, simplicity, we'll just say 5000 and 4000 people. So on the one hand, you've got 5000 people, you've got five loaves of bread and two fish, and you've got 12 baskets left over. And then in the next event, you have 4000 people, 
you have seven loaves of bread, a few, a few fish and seven baskets of leftover fragments. And it's just, it's just funny when you do the math there that in, in Matthew chapter 14, there's more people, there's fewer resources to start with, and there's more leftover at the end. And it just, it just shows something I think so beautiful about the nature of God that he, he doesn't, he's not limited by the things that limit us. He's not limited by the things that we're lacking. And here's what happens when, when we get caught up on the things that we are lacking. It robs us of our ability to be able to see and to remember that in God, nothing is lacking. And so these kinds of miracles, they don't happen or they don't happen as much when we're focused on our lack. Because focusing on my lack causes me to not focus on his abundance. And so the goal of God is for us to focus on his abundance, to recognize that he operates always from a place of abundance, from a place of victory. And as his sons and his daughters, we get to walk in that vein with him, to see what he's doing, to look to heaven as Jesus did in Matthew chapter 14, to look to heaven, to see what the father is doing, to see what the father is saying, to partner with his heart so that, yeah, there is lack in the physical, in the natural world, but I'm not operating from a place of lack. I'm actually approaching this lack from a place of abundance. Come on, somebody. I'm approaching the lack from a place of abundance because in him, there is no lack. And because in him, there's no lack and he's my shepherd, I shall not lack. You shall not lack anything that you need because he's with you, because he's faithful. And so it's just funny because then uh, the disciples, they they get into uh, this boat with Jesus. And um, let's see, verse 5 of Matthew chapter 16. Now, when the disciples had come to the other side, they ha they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, it is because we have taken no bread. <laughs> but Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up, nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? How is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? So it's, it's, it's a funny story because the disciples, Jesus uses the word leaven. And I didn't read the last verse, but it says they, the disciples, they finally became aware. He was talking about the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And so Jesus uses this word leaven. So they automatically assume, oh, shoot, he knows we forgot to bring the bread. And they start reasoning among themselves. Jesus is talking to us. And Jesus, it's funny because Jesus is talking to them about this spiritual thing. He wants them to become, to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, to not get caught up in that religious system, in the religious structure of things, because getting, getting caught up in the religiosity of things will cause you to miss out on what God is doing. And, 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 and it's funny because they automatically in their minds went to something natural and they thought they were in trouble because like, Oh man, he's going to be so mad at us <laughs> because we forgot to bring the bread. I thought you were bringing the bread and you thought I was bringing it and we just blew it and we, we messed it up. As if like Jesus is dependent on them bringing the bread because we just saw it two chapters in a row where they had very little and Jesus made thousands of people eat out of, uh, you know, one person's lunch. Anyway, so it's like they're still thinking naturally and Jesus is trying to bring their attention to something else. And he's like, why do you reason among yourselves because you have no bread? And it's like, why do you reason based on what you don't have? Why do you reason based on what you forgot to do? Why do you reason based on, yeah, the mistake that you made when I'm trying to draw your attention to something else? And here's what I feel like, and I'm about to wrap this up. I just want to leave this thought with you. So often in our walk with the Lord, I think that we, we engage with God on the level of, huh, uh, forgive me, I'm, uh, um, 
I'm trying to make sure I, I say this the right way. So often we get limited by how how deep we can go with God, how to what level, to what extent we can learn from him, walk with him, conversate with him, commune with him, fellowship with him because of our own condemnation. Because of like we we keep things on 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 a natural level because we know that we're struggling with things. Because we know that we've messed up or because we know that we've forgotten things or because we know we haven't arrived and so we allow our mindset and our own limitations on so many different levels to get in the way of so many of the deeper things that God is wanting to pull us into. Like you might be struggling with something right now. You might be struggling with some kind of a sin issue, with some kind of an addiction, and you're dealing with the condemnation of the fact that God is only going to relate to me based on this thing that I'm struggling with. God is not limited by that thing that is a struggle for you. God's not limited by that. God's not limited. God's not limited by your struggles. God's not limited by your mistakes. And so often we only go this far with God because we're expecting that judgment to come or we're expecting that correction to come. And, and so we have this perception of God that he's only going to let us go this far because this is as far as our trouble or our struggle or our experience or whatever. This is as far as God's going to allow me to go with him where God is like at a completely different level in his mind of, I want to pull you into so much more. I want to show you so much more, but we're like unwilling to go there with God. We get tripped up. We get caught up. We get stuck in the web of our own insecurity with God so many times that we're not willing to go with him to that next level because we don't perceive what he's doing. And we think that because we're struggling in our mind or in our thought life that God must be keeping us at a distance where we can't get past that. But as you know, once I get past it, once I get beyond this struggle, once I get beyond this addiction, once I get beyond this mental battle that I'm having, once I get beyond that stuff, then I can go to that next level with God. But God is not limiting you. God's not holding you back based on your limitations. And this is what it means to live from a place of no lack in him, there is no lack. And so I can actually stop approaching God based on my lack. <laughs> I can stop approaching God based on what I'm missing or what I haven't understood yet or whatever. I can stop approaching God based on that. I'm talking about the motivation of my heart and I'm talking about my mindset when I approach the Lord. I get that revelation of God allows me to go to new level. I get, I get that, but I'm talking about the mindset that I think we so often operate in that causes us to hold ourselves back from God, to give God less than he deserves and to expect less from God than what he wants to give us. Stop expecting less from God because what God has for you is so much more than you could possibly fathom. It's so much more than you could imagine. It's so much, the stuff that God wants to give to you is so much better than anything that you would ever give to yourself. Because he's not caught up on your limitations and insecurities and sin struggles. He's not caught up on the things that are holding you back. He does not operate in our lives from a place of lack. And so I just want to encourage you to just, you know, get in his face. Get in his presence. Grab some promises from the, from the book. and recognize that even when you feel like you're in a place of struggle or uncertainty or confusion or anything that you feel like might be limiting you in your life right now, your resources aren't there, your health isn't there, whatever it might be. And you can bring all that stuff before God. You can go to God exactly how you feel, but allow your heart, allow the attitude of your heart to just become anchored in his world, in the way that he thinks, in the way that he sees, because that will take you beyond the limitations of where you are right now. When you can begin to perceive things and see things the way that God sees them, recognizing that in the midst of whatever trouble, however bad, horrifying, terrifying it might be, 
that he is your good shepherd. He leads you out of love, out of mercy, out of kindness. And in him, there is no lack. And so my friends, you and I do not have to operate from a place of lack. We might have things that are lacking in our in the natural in our lives, but we don't we don't limit God based on those things. Instead, we partner with God so that we can approach life from a place of abundance. All right. Well, I uh, love you guys. Um, I appreciate you hanging out and listening to another solo episode with me. Things have been a little up in the air with me kind of in this moving process. And it's not that I don't have guests for the show. It's just that I've struggled to be able to schedule people far enough out um, because I've been in this weird limbo state where we're moving, but it's taken longer than we thought and all this kind of stuff. So uh, if you remember us, keep us in your prayer that uh, we just get breakthrough in this area um, as quickly as possible. We're moving to the Houston area to plant a new church and uh, we've just had some uh, opposition with finding a place to live and all that kind of stuff. So uh, that's what's going on. That's why there's been some solo episodes and even some missed episodes and stuff like that. Um, so it's just been a little bit tricky, but I hope to be fully back to normal very, very soon. So appreciate you guys for hanging with me. Uh, love you. Have an awesome, awesome rest of your day. And I hope to see you on a future episode. God bless.